Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. D.L. Martin Ministries, we appreciate this opportunity to bring you the freedom and healing found in God's Word. We pray that He will bless you and enrich your walk with Him through this teaching. After the program, stay tuned for information about other resources from D.L. Martin Ministries. I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll do as usual and um, do the submission prayer. You know, this is kind of strange. I don't do this for a lot of classes. I do this for this one specifically because I, I believe that even in while we're going through these classes, a lot of times we'll go through warfare. And, um, you know, we tend to think that's, you know, really big, big, big stuff, which it is big stuff. But warfare can just be uh, <clears throat> the enemy keeping us from truth and blinding our eyes and blinding our ears. And so this is real important that we remember that we ask God. It's a good, it's a good discipline to get into when you're in church or when you're in, you know, and I, and I need to change my vocabulary. When you go to the congregation to fellowship together, wherever that be, be that be is you as the church when you go there to the meeting place. But um, you need to ask God to open your ears and open your eyes and open your spirit to what the spirit says and that you bind anything that would distract you and anything that would keep you from receiving the truth and walking in the truth. It's a good habit to get into. It's a good, it's a good discipline to get into before you read your Bible. Say, God, open this up to me. Make it be life to me. <laughs> and, and it's part of a discipline that I'm, I'm trying to instill or trying to you know, help you with to remember to do that. You know, I bind anything that would hinder me from getting what you have for me. Um, those are really good principles to use when you, when you, when you read when you study, when you, you know, listen to video classes, when you go to class, when you go to some gathering place or some sort of fellowship, it's just a, a good practice. So let's pray together and let's get started. I'm real excited about what we're going to be talking tonight about tonight. Father, I thank you, Lord God, for this material. Lord, I thank you for your word, Lord God. I thank you that you have not left us alone. But God, you give us all the things that we need to be victorious. Father, that you didn't just come and stay, save us and leave us here and, and leave us on our own, Lord God, and just figure, well, they'll be all right till I get back. But Lord, you gave us everything that we would need to take dominion over the earth today and to live victorious, abundant lives. Father, we bless you. I bless this group tonight. And Lord, we ask you to come and speak to us. Now let's join together in our submission prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to meet together. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for your power, freedom, and life. We love you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. Father, I come before you. I ask you to speak to me and change my life. I ask you to reveal truth to me. Now on the authority given to me, because I'm a child of God, I bind any activity, any voice, any hindrance, any spirit, not of Holy Spirit of God. You are bound and rendered ineffective during this time here tonight. I bind pride in myself or in any spirit. I bind any blocking or hindering spirits. 
I choose now to open myself to Holy Spirit. I choose to receive what the Lord Jesus has for me. Lord, I open my spirit to what you want to say and do in me. In Jesus' name, amen. And Lord, we do, we invite you to come and speak to us tonight and do mighty things in our midst, Lord God, and throughout the next few weeks. <clears throat> yeah, let me see if I can, did we do this? We didn't get our PowerPoint presentation going, and we'll do that while we get to page 24 in our workbooks. Our first overhead that we're going to start with tonight is Know Your Weapons. How many of you have ever done any study in the area of spiritual warfare before this class? One, two, couple, not many, other than some of you that have retaken this class before. Hopefully you're, you're, you're seeing things differently than you did the first time. We're going to um, talk a little bit tonight. This is not an exhaustive, you know, the things that I'm saying here are not the only things, but they're just uh, just maybe a beginning class to get you started, maybe an idea to help you get a, get a basic understanding of what spiritual warfare is about and how to do that. Our first, um, this series that I thought it was going to be a four-part series, and it's going to end up being a five-part series. And so um, we're going to do those series and get those, um, we have people waiting for these. So we're on um, Know Your Weapons. Okay, all right, we're all up there. That was awesome. Okay, um, remember God uh, created us to be led and dominated by our spirits. With his spirit leading and guiding us in all matters of knowledge, logic, and reasoning, our soul's primary purpose was to serve our spirit. Do you hear that? We were, we were created for our spirit to lead us, not our soul. But after the fall, our soul started um, uh, leading us, or it leads us around. And um, somehow, or well, not somehow, because of the fall, our spirit man became the weaker voice instead of the more dominant voice. Um, it was supposed to be uh, that our connection to the world around us was not intended to be the, our primary focus um, of our existence. However, this is not what we see in our own lives. Many times, it's certainly not um, looking, you know, we, we have a tendency to be more dominated by what we see rather than what we don't see. So tonight, we're going to talk about knowing our weapons and our strategies for our situations. We're also going to be talking a little bit about who we are in God and um, learning to know about your frame. And there are some truths that we need to know in order to move into freedom. We must know our God, which we've discussed in the very beginning of this class, we must know that we're at war. That was our first class. We must know um, our God. Who is it that we're going to battle with? We must know ourselves that we're talking about tonight. We must know our enemy that we talked about last uh, time we were together. And we must know God's provision for us. And so let's take a look at what the Word of God has to say. In Ephesians 6, the scripture gives us two ideas of two concepts of spiritual warfare that I want to take a minute and look at. In Ephesians 6, it gives us the concept of the wrestler. It says, we do not wrestle, wrestle with flesh and blood. In Greco-Roman culture, wrestling was a prominent sport. Wrestling requires a high degree of direct bodily contact with the opponent. You cannot wrestle from a long distance, you know, that's up, up close and personal. The goal of the wrestler was to conquer the opponent in a physical engagement. In most cases, we will be called to wrestle against ground-level spirits, such as those frequently mentioned in the Gospels. 
Some may also be called to deal with the middle level or second heaven spirits which operate through witches, occult practitioners, and new age challengers, channelers, and spiritists, mediums, and others um, of the like. This um, is such a high level that um, when people did uh, ministry in that area, if you think about Paul and Silas, they found themselves in, a, in jail after they dealt with the um, young girl. They cast a, that spirit out of her, which was a, a territorial type spirit. They found themselves in jail as a result. Um, others of us, most likely, probably relatively few of us, may be called to deal with a higher level territorial spirit, such as the Prince of Perita or the Prince of Greece that we find in Scripture. Obviously, the higher we go, the more caution we need. Um, and, you know, that's one of the principles I want to start out with, is that we, the Bible gives us the analogy of the wrestler, which is the hand-to-hand -hand combat. Every one of us in this room and every Christian um, is engaged in a wrestling match. Um, what are the things that we wrestle with? Well, we wrestle with things like um, infirmity. We wrestle with things like poverty. We wrestle with things like religion. We wrestle with things like, um, pulling a blank here, but what are the types of things that, that we wrestle with on a day-to-day on a day -to -day, um, all the time? Usually our thought lives. Mm -hmm. Those are the kinds of things that we're wrestling with over and over again. And um, those, we don't tend to think of those, but you know what? We always have to remember the basic scripture is that we wrestle not with flesh and blood. So it's not the people that we're wrestling with. It's not our circumstances that we're wrestling with. We're wrestling in a spiritual nature, but that's what we can see. So we think that's the issue and it's not. The other um, picture that the scripture gives us in, in the gospels um, or in the New Testament, actually, it's not really in the Gospels, is the warrior. He moves from the wrestler, picture of the wrestler in Ephesians 6, to the warrior. Once that he establishes that our engagement with wicked spirits is like a wrestler, Paul switches analogies to describe a means of combat as though as a Roman warrior. Military equipment then, as now, includes defensive as well as offensive instruments. The full armor of God is our defense against our spiritual en enemies. It is also our offense. The full armor of God um, is important that we recognize what that is. It's also re important that we, we recognize that the armor didn't have anything in the back. And that's because, like I have always said and I say all the time, somebody's going to be running from somebody. And we're not supposed to be running from the enemy because we don't have any coverage on the back. Except for the scripture does tell us that he'll be our rear guard, which believe me, that would, that's, that's a good thing. But we're not supposed to be running from him. He's supposed to be running from us. We are to be advancing the kingdom. Um, apparently, the assumption was that when the enemies were near, the soldiers were moving toward them, not running away. But as any soldier knows, the final objective is not to protect yourself against the enemies, but to defeat them. And so much of the church, so much of the body of Christ, what I mean by the church, the body of Christ is, is just doing that. They're holding their own, but there is no offensive. And I think there's a, a remnant that's arising in the world today that's wanting to move forward and God and move God's kingdom forward rather than just staying, staying back and on their haunches and trying to protect what they have. Um, you know, somebody, like I say, over and over and over again, somebody's going to be running from somebody. Somebody's going to be on the offensive and somebody's going to be on the defensive. Personally, I'd rather be on the offensive and have him trying to keep up with me than me trying to keep up with him. And we're, we're going to uh, talk about how we can do that. Um, 
Well, I tell stories and then I look down and it's in my notes. Must be that's where it's supposed to be. <laughs> well, our plan of action, there's no doubt about it. Engaging, engaging the enemy on any level is risky. Um, but there's no doubt that we're called to do it. The scripture tells us. So let's make sure that we do it well. And let's figure out how to do that. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Ephesians 6 is a big area for spiritual warfare. I'm just going to go ahead and read this. And this is an uh, important scripture. It talks about our, our armor. Because we already talked to that we have the picture of the wrestler where we're up close and personal. And we also have the, the, the picture of a warrior. Both of them are true. But the warrior has armor. And the scripture tells us in uh, verse 10, chapter 6, verse 10, all the way through 18. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the enemy's schemes, devil's schemes. For our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but with against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. What does it say? After you've done everything to stand, you've done everything, stand. Unfortunately, a lot of people haven't done everything and they're t still trying to stand. But you still, that, that's when you get released to stop is when you've done everything. Stand firm then and with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with the, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, in addition to take all this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions. When are we supposed to pray in the spirit? On all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. Remember I told you there's not a right way. There's all kinds. And with this in mind, be alert. We're not supposed to be sleeping or resting or wondering or hiding or whatever. We're to be alert. And we're always to keep on praying for all the saints. Let's just take a few minutes and tear apart the armor. I, you know, we think that's a basic Christian teaching. It was if you went to Sunday school. But unfortunately, there's not Sunday school anymore. How many of you learned about the pieces of armor in Sunday school? Some of you. The ones who didn't, did you attend Sunday school? Okay, some of you did, some of you didn't. So, you know, it's really important that we go over the pieces of the armor. Some of them just kind of speak for themselves, but I think it's really good. Some of these basics, there's, it's really simple, but sometimes we really just need to get these things in, in, into our hearts and into our spirits and really recognize what they are. The first thing that the scripture tells us about is the belt of truth. Um, it's interesting to me that the first thing we're to put on is, to, is truth. We must even embrace truth before we can get saved. So it makes sense. You know, you think, well, why don't we start out with the sword and so we can slice and dice and get our shield up there and then we'll worry about all the other stuff that gets closer. We want to start out here, you know, but God wants to start up close. Um, the scripture tells us where to gird our loins, if you've ever looked at that. Well, I looked up because I, I was trying to, you know, get an understanding. I like to be really thorough with this stuff. So I, I went to a real important place. I went to the dictionary to find out what gird means. And the gird means to exactly what I, I thought, but I like to use these words because it gives us a picture. To encircle with a band or belt. So you know what? Let's talk about that. Truth is ours, right? So we're encircled with truth. To fasten or secure. To surround. To equip. I thought that was really interesting. And this is, I really like this one. To prepare for action. We don't think of that when we're girding up. We're getting ready to do something. 
And that's the first thing that um, the dictionary tells us that we're to do. Uh, one of the um, sentences that they gave me uh, was, let's see, to prepare for action, and then they used this, this illustration. Men still spoke of peace, but girded more sternly for war. You know, that, that gives us a good picture. To summon one's inner resources in, protect, in preparation for action. Isn't that good? Some synonyms, synonyms, oh heavens, we won't even go there. You know what I'm saying. Gird as a verb, which is an action. Prepare oneself for military confront. I'm not making this up. This is not out of a Bible dictionary. This is just regular dictionary here. To prepare oneself for a military confrontation. Example, the U.S. is girding for a conflict in the Middle East. Troops are building up on the Iraqi border. You can tell when they put that in there, don't they? Um, to, the words that would, be, would explain girding is arm, build up, fortify, rearm, forearm. Um, to gird your loins, to extend on all sides. Uh, one of the illustrations they use is the forest surrounds all of my property. You know, you think about that. If you put your house in the middle of like a clearing and there was forest surrounding, uh, surrounding you, that's what truth should be like us, like those trees. It should be so surrounding us that when anything approaches through that circle or band of truth, we recognize it as um, something foreign. I thought that was a really, a really good. So we need to have... We need to have our gird, we need to be gird up. Interesting, I was reading um, a little bit more about this, and mainstream Christian views on this passage that we're talking about agree that Paul was in prison and looking at a Roman soldier. You know, he was, he was chained to him when he was writing this letter to Ephesians. We don't think about that, that he was in prison when he was writing these encouraging words. Paul mentions having your loins gird about with truth. It's in Ephesians 6.14. He's referring to our protecting our pelvic region of the body, which is very vulnerable. This action was a common practice for most of the people living in this era, not just Roman soldiers. To gird your loins during the Roman era, era meant to draw up and tie your lower garment between your legs as to increase your mobility and agility. This prevented the loose ends of the tunic from becoming snagged on something or entangled with your feet, which would cause you to stumble or fall down when you're moving quickly about. This was accomplished by pulling the fabric of the knee-length tunic, the knee-length tunic so the length of the front stopped at your upper thigh. And collecting the excess material in your front, you pull the material forward. I, you know, if I could put it on and do it for you, I would, but that would take too much time. I'd probably get all tangled up and it fall down. Um, next, you take the extra front and you, you put the material down between your legs and gather it behind you. This, at this point, you collected half of the material behind you evenly on each side of your back, left and right, and the final steps are wrapping each side of the material, that would be the extra material, around your waist and tying it in the front. So what that's doing is there's nothing to impede you from moving forward. How many of us have things hanging down that maybe sometimes trip us up? something that slows us from the process of moving forward. And that's what this is really about. It's telling us that, that all right, let's, let's pull everything up. Let's get, it all, let's get all these loose ends tied up. Let's get ready to move out. Let's get anything that would entangle us or keep us from moving forward. So one part of what Paul is saying is try, trying to tell people is to secure anything that will cause us to stumble or fall down when moving quickly in the Christian daily battle. 
We should always be spiritually sharp, alert, and ready to respond with spiritual mobility and spiritual agility. I like that word, spiritual agility. With this understanding, we can now examine the things that cause Christians to stumble or fall down in their Christian walk. A specific list of these items does not exist. However, the Bible does provide insight into this area, starting in the book of Genesis and ending in the book of Revelation. There's a whole list of things that would cause us to stumble. Instead of discussing these things, just go ahead and take some time after the class to go through and ask God, what is it that's causing you to stumble? Asking him when you're reading on a daily basis, what is it that in my life that needs to be tied up and girded up so that I can move forward and so that I'm not entangled in this world? Isn't there a scripture about casting off the things that so easily entangle us? Amen. Okay, let's move on to the breastplate of righteousness. That's the next thing we're going to talk about. The next piece of our armor. The breastplate is exactly what its name implies. It's a covering to cover our torso. You know, this top area from our, our um, rib cage, you know, up over our, uh, into our shoulders. This is very important that we recognize that righteousness that, that we have, it comes in two parts. First, our righteousness is through Jesus Christ. Okay? Our righteousness is, is as filthy rags. So he's the first way that we claim righteousness is through Jesus Christ. Secondly, we do have a part in this righteousness. Anybody have any clues as to how we have a part in this righteousness? It's in how we live our lives. We have a choice to live in holiness. We have a choice to live in, uh, for God's law, against God's law, in, his, you know, in his, what he's established. It's a moral law. When we're born again, we are given a seal. You know, the scripture in the, Holy, um, the New Testament talks about that we're sealed. Um, and we're, we're marked as belonging to God. And when we belong to God, nothing happens to us unless we either open the door to it, it has some sort of legal right to operate in our life, or God gives permission. Okay, we'll take a look at all three of those before we're done. Some scriptures that you can go back and look at at a later date in, in, in regards to the breastplate of righteousness are Proverbs 13.6, Proverbs 10.2, they're all in Proverbs, and Proverbs 11.6. Let me do that again. All three of them in Proverbs. One of them is in 13.6, one of them is in 10.2, and one of them is in 11.6. I like those, those verses, and we may even actually run into those later. In the book of Job, how many are familiar with the story of Job? We have, then the story of Job, Satan almost taunts God, and he says it's only because you've placed that hedge about him. You know, we could actually take that idea of the hedge and put it towards our breastplate of righteousness. It's the moralness or the protection that co that, that's covered us, that covers us. In Zechariah 2, 5, um, God uses the wording, or, or the scripture uses the wording, I guess you could say it was God ultimately, uses the wording that it's called a wall of fire. In Romans 13, 12, it's called the armor of light. So we have a lot of different imagery that really are pointing to the same thing, the breastplate of righteousness, which is our protection that God gives us. Well, how does the enemy get past this? He gets past our breastplate because of sin, number one. The holier you are, you know, people say, what, do you think I'm, you're holdering me? Well, I hope so. <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to be rude, but especially sinful people, I hope I'm holier than they are. You know, how old are you holier than thou? Well, I hope so. 
But you know what? The, the more we walk in holiness, the less areas the enemy has to get under, our, get under or around our armor. That's for our protection that God established these rules, these moral laws. The more you're healed, the less likely he can get to you as well. There's not any open wounds or sores for him, him to mess with. The next piece of armor that we're going to deal with is the um, sandals or the gospel uh, talks about our feet being prepared with the gospel piece or fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel piece. To be honest, I've really struggled with what that means. And when we have the gospel, um, we have the answer, we have healing, we have prophecy, we have deliverance. How can we not be ready to go? You know, we are always waiting. One of the things that uh, um, when I was in ministry school, you know, we sat through awesome teachings. We had, of course, we were in the midst of revival, so we were in revival, and we had all these different uh, avenues of, of revelation that were available to us. And people, I still see people that I went to ministry school with today still sitting and going and sucking up and sucking up and sucking up. And, you know, one of the ploys I think of the enemy is to try to convince us that we don't have enough to give. If you have Jesus, you have enough to give. You should be able to go in that. And the more you get, the more you have to give. But we need to be ready to go because there's a peace that comes when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's a wholeness that comes as we um, move through the sanctification process. And that's what that really is. When gospel of peace is a wholeness. We've talked about that back when we were talking about Jehovah Shalom. It really encompasses a great more than just peace. Yes, peace, but there is peace because we're whole and everything is at rest. He's our rest. And when we have that concept, when we can really get a hold of that concept, we can understand that we're to be ready to go with that and that that's what we walk in. And when we um, think about the story of Gideon in, in Judges 6, that's where God was actually revealed as Jehovah Shalom. Um, in its fullest context, it means a total wholeness, a soundness, and confidence. It's when we're ready with peace that we can confidently move forward into God's plan. Because it wasn't natural for a man with 300 men to move forward against that great big army and actually defeat the enemy, was it? And, and the scared little guy hiding at night in the wine press. And God revealed himself. You know, it's really strange because I read some of those stories and I think, why didn't he reveal himself as commander of the hosts of the army because they were getting ready to go to war? But, you know, but what he revealed himself as is Jehovah Shalom. He's, he, he's the God of peace. So we think, you know, peace is just this, you know, but that's what he revealed himself to Gideon, that when we're in peace, we can go to war. Isn't that a conflict of what we would normally and naturally think? that Jehovah Shalom enables us to go to war because we know that when we walk in his plan and his purpose, there's a total peace about it because it's his war, it's not ours. That's kind of an interesting, interesting idea that I've just been chewing on a little bit, trying to figure out, you know, how does that work? Because that just messes with me because peace and war don't seem to go in the same sentence, but in this particular instance, they do. And the next piece I want to talk about is the shield of faith. The, fee, the shield is God's instrument of protection for us. He promised to take care of all of us in all situations when we seek his kingdom first. The shield in battle or warfare just, or just life, every day we should be using our shield of faith. Instances when our life experiences are not matching the word of God. How many of you got some of those? When your life is not quite matching what the word of God says. You know, that's when our, when our faith comes into action. Um, this is when we should choose to raise our shield and use it. Faith is believing what God has said or says instead of what we see. 
That's really what it is. I think faith is going beyond just believing and acting upon what we know is true rather than what we see. Our shield is one of the last things we put on. It covers everything else in our armor. It's also our first line of defense and advancement. It's out front. You know, when you're moving forward and you got a shield, what's the first thing they're going to encounter? Your shield. And if you don't have a very big shield, they're going to get blast, blast through that baby right away. So it's important that we, we ask God to increase our faith, which is a scary prayer. <laughs> but we need, to have a, we need to have a shield that's equipped and, and large enough for battle. Um, you know, I was reading when I was doing some research for this, there's lots of different sizes of shields, too. The, the, the um, warriors or the, the gentlemen who got real up close, like the wrestler, they had sm much smaller, and those who went out up against a city would have bigger ones. And so, you know, that really kind of gave me hope that there are, no matter what size of shield we have, we all have a place. And if we wield our shield, wield our shield, that's pretty good, isn't it? If we do what we need to do with our shield, then we're going to be victorious. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that I don't have to compare my shield to anybody else's because uh, in some areas it might not be so great. In an online, online article, Rick Joyner, does anybody know who Rick Joyner is? Um, and I want to read a little, poor, little portion of his article. It's off of an article called Developing and Growing Your Shield of Faith, and it's on the Elijah List um, website. It's dated June 27th, 2003 just to make sure that I give proper credit for the article. It says that regardless of what problems arise, the key to keep is to keep our shields up. Regardless of what disappointments may come, there are times when things will happen with all of these that could be very disappointing. However, to become disappointed is to drop our shield of faith. Uh, apparently, I'm dropping my shield of faith often. When arrows start coming, it's not the time to drop our shields but it's to raise them up even more with more resolve. The arrows will come. The arrows will come, which should never discourage us, but cause us to grip our faith even tighter and hold it up with greater vigilance. And I think, you know, one of the things that I really, that I like about, you know, the article was much longer, but I just pulled out that small portion, is, you know, it's important that we recognize the arrows are going to come. If the arrows aren't coming, are we alive? We're certainly not causing any stir, that's for sure, that he's not even going to waste an arrow on us. You know, maybe it should be, we should look at these arrows as encouraging. Well, you know, obviously I'm advancing upon some treasure that he does not want to give up, and I'm moving forward. I'm going to take it. And the next thing we want to take just a second to talk about is the helmet of salvation. The helmet covers our head. It covers our mind. It covers our thoughts. You know, there's scripture that talks about that we capture each thought, each thought and bring it into the obedience of Christ. Many times I'll bring my puppets. I don't know if you've seen them, but I have a puppet of a devil and I have a puppet of an angel. And I'll talk about how, you know, we had the, the voices and then the angel is a representation of the Holy Spirit. I know he doesn't look like that, but it works for visualization. And how we have both of those voices speaking at us. And we determine which one we're going to listen to. You know, and that helmet of salvation helps us to recognize which voice is, that, that um, is uh, speaking to us. We also need to take those thoughts captive and realize and recognize, okay, who is this coming from? Is this coming from God? Is this coming from me? Or is this coming from the devil? And then when we recognize where the thought is coming from, then we know what to do with it. We know the appropriate action to take. If it's from the enemy, we throw it out. 
If it's from us, most of the time we throw it out. If it's from God, then we embrace it and, and, and bring it into us and tie that thing around us as the belt of truth. The other thing that we want to talk about is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. So in order to have faith, we must hear the Word of God. It's really simple. Sometimes, as we said in the very beginning, though, our, our ears have been shielded and we're not recognized. We can't hear the Word. It's like it's, you've never been anywhere and you're like, I'm just not getting it. You know? I think of... Um, and being in, in things and, you know, people saying, I'm just not getting it. It's going over my head, you know, and I've encouraged them. Just keep going back. Just keep going on. You don't know whether it's getting in. It may be bouncing off you, but that's okay. You just keep going back and that word will get in because God's word doesn't return void. You just keep going in it back. You keep going back to your Bible and you keep reading it. You keep listening to sermons. You keep going for teaching. You keep going for ministry. You just keep going back and it'll wear down all this big case that we have around us and to where we can receive it. It's the truth. That's what happened to me when I started reading the Word of God. I, didn't, I couldn't get anything out of it, but I did it out of obedience. I did it out of a discipline. I just kept saying, you know what? I may not be getting anything, but my spirit might be getting something, and I don't know. And I just kept reading, and I kept reading, and I kept reading. Every day I'd get up, and I'd read, and I'd read, and I'd read. And I'd get up, and I'd read, and I'd read. And then one day, it made sense to me. There was a part that made sense to me. I thought, hey, I can apply this in my life. And it came life to me. Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitfully wicked, who can know it? Isn't that a strange verse? But I got it. I recognized my heart was wicked. And that I, there was as much trying as I was trying to do become, to become righteous, I wasn't going to be able to do it on my own because I, my heart was wicked. But then it goes on to say, who can know it? And then it talks about how God knows all things. I mean, that's really strange, but I'm telling you, that thing came alive to me. And that's what happens when we go to the Word. The sword and the shield work together. We never will be consistent until we put both of those together, the, the faith and the sword. Use that sword. How do we use that sword? We proclaim it. We pray it. We live it. We embrace it. We soak in it. We surround ourselves in it. Isn't the word the truth? Isn't Jesus the truth? We surround ourselves with Jesus. What is your home like? Is your home surrounded in Jesus? What do you got in your home? Could you say that you're girding yourself with, with truth by what you have in your home? What you're allowing to come over your television or through your radio or your computer screen? Are you surrounding yourself? Are you surrounding your family with truth? Are you, are, are you using the, the sword of the spirit? Are you using your shield of faith? Scripture also goes on to say there in Ephesians 6 that we're to pray in the Spirit. I always say I like to pray in the Spirit because it bypasses me and it moves directly into the Spirit. Because I know that I know that I know that the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? I know me. I'm going to get me in there somewhere. I'm going to work it to my advantage. That's why I like to pray in the Spirit because it bypasses me. And I know that I'm praying the right way because I know me. In Acts chapter 2, we had the day of Pentecost. And why would you bring this in here right now? It's because, why is it important? Because Jesus told them to go and wait until the Holy Spirit came. Why? Why did they need the Holy Spirit? You got it, power. We need the power. This is, you know, this is all great, but if we have no power, 
what good is that? Then we're going to be haunching down in some building somewhere, waiting, making sure that the gates of hell can't prevail against us instead of going out and taking the kingdoms of this world for the, for the king, make, causing them to be the kingdoms of our God. Absolutely. I'm going to get excited and I get start talking about that. I'm thinking, let's go. Um, <laughs> finally, at the end of that scripture, it talks about being alert. You know, passivity. I did a, did a teaching one time called Dead Men Walking. We have thousands and thousands, probably millions of men who are walking around dead because they've just embraced passivity. It's just easier to be passive. And I'm not just picking on the men because us women have our own issues as well. Some of us have passivity as well, but it ha- t- tends to typically take over with men. But, you know, uh, break of rules always. There's not any hard and fast absolute rules as far as that's concerned. About the time I say all men, somebody's going to say, what about so-and-so? And that's not what I'm doing. I'm just making a generalization, okay? But we need to fight passivity, recognizing the attacks and the ploys and the advances of the enemy. Be alert. Be alert. Keep your eyes open. Ask God to show you. And finally, it says, keep on praying. We need to persevere because you know what? It ain't over. It ain't over. You know, I mean, this is probably a very tacky saying, but I used to say, you know, that saying that used to go around, it ain't over till the fat lady sings. I used to say, and I ain't been singing, so it ain't over. You know, it ain't over yet. So keep on. Maybe you got knocked down. You know, the Bible talks about we fall down, but we get back up again. Get back up and get fighting again. He ain't taking you out. It ain't over. It is not over. Revelation 12, 11 says, They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. I love this scripture. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. You know what? When we're not even fair, you know what? Kill me. Whatever. What are you going to do? Go after it. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because why? The devil has, been gone, has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. See, the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony is how we overcome. It says they overcame him. What does it exactly mean to overcome? The word overcome in the Greek is nikao, N-I-K-A-O. How many of you are aware of this? It's easy to remember because it's the root of the word um, Nicole or Nick, Nicholas. It's what some people name their children who want them to be winners because why? Nike, Nike shoes, just do it. You're going to win the game. That's what it comes from. The New International Dictionary of the New Testament says, in the New Testament, Nikao, I'm assuming that's how that's pronounced, N-I-K-A-O, almost always presupposes the conflict between God and opposing demonic powers. In other words, Nikao is a biblical word for spiritual warfare. It's mentioned seven times by Jesus in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Seven times. He uses the word only twice, two other times, in 16, 30, John 16, 33, he says, I have overcome, Nikao, the world. And the other is in Luke eleven twenty two, 22, where he says, when a stronger than he comes upon him and over Nikao him, overcomes him. So that um, he, we overcome, we are victorious. We overcome the enemy. How? We're going to talk about that. We overcome him by the blood of the lamb. I love the blood of the lamb. I pray the blood of the lamb. I plead the blood of the lamb. I live under the blood of the lamb. The blood of the lamb or the blood of Jesus in Revelation 12, 11, the scriptures say that by the blood we're redeemed. 
In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, and accordings with the riches of God's grace. We're justified by the blood. Since now we've been justified by his blood, the scripture says, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's Romans 5, 9 through 11. We're cleansed by the blood. The scripture tells us in, um, that if we walk in the light just as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one, one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. These are all things that the blood does for us. And by the blood, we have confidence to enter the most holy place. We can go in before the throne room of the king of the universe because of that blood. We have confidence, it says. When we have our helmet of salvation, a relationship with Jesus, we are covered by the blood and all the provisions of it. We could not go into tonight all of the provisions of the blood or we would be done. That's all we could do. I'm telling you. Everything that you would ever have need of, he has provided us for. The next part of that scripture says, and the word of their testimony. How many of you have a testimony? If you're saved, you have a testimony. Okay, I can't tell you that I've been saved from drugs and alcohol and physical abuse. I have not. But I do have a testimony. I have a testimony that he brought me out of a place of being fake and unreal. He brought me of a place of being dead inside to life. He brought me a place from a place of total devastation to a place of peace and wholeness. I have a testimony. So do you. Because we have the blood of the Lamb, we can claim the blood of the Lamb because of salvation. We can also use the name of, of Jesus. You know, the blood and the name, they're kind of connected. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, whenever we go out under his name, we can be assured that we have his backing. The key is going out under his name, not under our name. We are, when we are his ambassador, his representative, when we are going into the entire world, preaching the gospel, making disciples, casting out demons, announcing the kingdom, we do so in his name, revealing and declaring his victory. Now, how, what are some of the things, some of the other weapons that we have? We need to make sure that we put on our armor. You know, it's not childish to get up every day and do that. It's really not. It's really a good, good thing to do because it makes us, uh, the reality of what we're doing so real. You know, Lord, I get up today and I'm putting on my belt of truth. I'm wrapping myself up in truth, Lord. Anything that would come against me that's not truth, help me to see it. Lord, I put on your breastplate of righteousness. Lord, I put on you today. I move out in you today. Help me to stay within the moral law of what, what your word tells me and what you tell me to do. Lord, I put on my helmet. Lord, I thank you for salvation. Lord, I pick up my, my, my shield and my sword, and I'm ready to go out and advance the kingdom. That sounds like a pretty good starter. That's probably better than Wheaties. <laughs> I don't like Wheaties. Anyway, I like sweet things. <laughs> Corn pops and all that kind of stuff. Um, so um, what are some other things, now that we have our armor on, what are things that we can do? Prayer. Hebrews 10, 19 through 20, 23. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near 
to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of his faith, having our hearts sprinkled with, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure wa water. That's in Hebrews 10, 19. Well, how do we do that? How do we draw near? Prayer is one way that we draw near. Prayer is one way, or drawing near is one way that we know what to, how to use that shield. What can we use the shield for? It's because, because we've been in prayer and we've been reading our word and we know, we know what, we, what, what he said. And we say, oh, no, that's not the truth. And that's what, that's what that is. I don't care what this looks like. That's not what he says. You know what? You get back because you're a lie. You know, the word of God tells me, you know. He told me in prayer. You know, I told you, I've told you before recently, you know, I woke up with the words that my provisioning is coming and it's more than adequate. Now, does that line up with the word of God? Yeah. It does. And so on a daily basis, I declare that my provision is coming and it's more than adequate. I declare in the name of Jesus. And then I go on with the other things that the Lord has, has uh, said to me and has promised to me. And I do that through prayer. And then I lay out before him and I listen to what he would say. Lord, what would you have to say to me? And then I'm silent. And I listen to what he would say to me. When we're reading the word, we listen to what he, have, what he has to say to us. Prayer. Now, I want to introduce just a really quick concept. How many of you are familiar with night seasons and night watches? that there are different times throughout the day and the night that mean different things. I recently back, I, I did a um, minute, um, message called Daybreak after the Lord woke me up and gave me a scripture. Or he didn't give me scripture, he gave me word and, um, about Daybreak was coming. And then I, a few couple weeks later, he gave me a scripture and I looked it up and it was talking about Daybreak. And I'm like, okay, I get it. You want me to do some study? So I did and then I did a message about that. And that actually is the, the hours between 12 midnight and 3 a.m., it's called the breaking of the day. Um, there are four watches in the night. Um, in, the, in the Hebraic world, um, day is considered, starts at night. It starts at 6 o'clock or after 6. Um, day is considered from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And evening is from, um, morning is from, uh, well, actually the, what we call night, but is from 6 to 9, and then they have a midnight watch from 9 to 12, and then there's one from 12 to 3, and then one 3 to 6. But, you know, you can check out books from Chuck Pierce, Glory of Zion, to find out about those, but those are really fascinating. I'm very excited that Glory of Zion is teaching, is about to teach on the hours and what each one means. You know, we prophetically understand, or we're beginning to understand the importance of understanding the year, the month, and now we're going into the hours. So that if God wakes you up to pray at a certain time, there are certain things that that means prophetically at that time. And you can enter in with that, whether it be a warfare, whether it be a repentance, whether it be, you know, I'm not sure what all those are going to be, but I'm very excited to hear that and find that out. You know, that's really great that God is allowing us to get all this extra, you know, that the great men and women of God are giving to us. So I would encourage you to check that out when it comes out and is available. But you know what? We take advantage of all the tools that God gives us. Now, does that mean before I knew that there were certain things going on at certain times that my prayer weren't relevant? No. But, you know, once we recognize or once we're given information, we're responsible for it. If it's going to make us more, as the end times draw near, the more revelation is going to make us more effective. Isn't that wonderful? If we can get more done in less time and we can do it with less work, that would really be great. Another weapon that we use is the word, which I've talked about a little bit. The word silences the enemy in that area. Look at the temptation of Jesus. Satan, he didn't stop him completely. 
when Jesus used the word with him because Jesus hadn't went to the cross yet, but he did stop him completely, didn't he? Went through obedience, which is an important part that we need to recognize that obedience is also a weapon. When we're we're obedient, when we are in obedience to the Lord and to his word, that is a weapon that advances the kingdom of God. What if Jesus hadn't been obedient and done it his own way? Would have the angels came? Would they have brought him food? Would they have given him the things? They probably would have because he's the, he's the, he's the you know king of the universe. He was God man, but he would have he would have went opposite of what what God wanted to accomplish. You know, I mean, I don't I don't, don't want to go through what Jesus could have done or what have done or what would have happened. I don't know, but I know that he said no. You know, and that is one of the strategies of the enemies to get us to get something that God has promised us in a faster, easier way, not the way in which God has told us. Because we think, hey, that looks good. He did tell me I'm going to just bypass this step and maybe do it a little bit crooked, but it's okay because the, the ends justifies the means. He does do that to us. Um, we've already spoken in prior classes about drawing to God, drawing near to God and resisting the devil. Um, notice first part is drawing near to God. We draw near to God. We enter into his place. We recognize that we're seated with him. We listen for his direction. We take some time in prayer. We learn about what, what is good and what's really good. But what is most excellent is, uh, is doing is not only learning about it and soaking in it, but is going and doing it. It's important that we pray, we pray, we pray, we soak, we soak, we soak, we worship, we worship, we worship, we praise, we dance, we whatever. To get in before his throne, to draw near to him. Whatever you do to draw near, do it. Just because I do it one way doesn't mean that's the way you do it. You do it however. We're all different. We go over and over that. You don't, he don't need any more of me's. He's got enough of me's. He needs you. How you do it. See, this is when we, we see, when we see change, is when we start really living the things that we believe and the things that we've been. And, and we think, well, well, teach me how to war. I am teaching you how to war. I'm teaching you how to war. Because when you have all these in place, when the enemy comes, you whip that shield up and you take out your sword and you advance against him instead of him advancing against you. That's what you do. We have another key or another tool, binding and loosing. As a believer, we hold the key to advancing the kingdom of heaven and destroying the works of the enemy. According to Matthew 18, 18, it says, Whatsoever ye bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This text speaks of the legalities and technicalities of the kingdom. Relative to your authority on earth, you are God's official agent here on earth. Do you get that? We are his agent. We have, you know, given our authority to other people. We've just been setting back and letting the enemy run all over us. We have not been standing up and saying, uh-uh, that is not right. I am in charge. In the name of Jesus, you will not do that. I bind that activity. You back away from my children. You back away from my finances. You back away from my health. I bind you in the name of Jesus. I bind you in my city. I bind you in my neighborhood. Right? That's taking authority. That's taking our place as kingdom agents. When we walk into a place, the kingdom of heaven has arrived. Not because we're here, because Jesus is here. Jesus is in us. We are here. The kingdom of God is here. Whatever we allow, heaven allows. Whatever you disallow, heaven disallows. 
What have you been allowing in your life? What have you been disallowing? How many of you understand the fact that it happens in the supernatural first, and then it, fa- then it manifests in the natural? It doesn't manifest in the natural and then happens in the spiritual. It happens in the spiritual first, and then it, then it becomes evident. That's more real than here. That's more important than here. Everything that we see is product of stuff that happened prior, or didn't happen, most likely, the way the world's going today. Two key elements in dealing with spiritual strongholds are also submission and resistance. We submit to God and resist the devil. Submit to God, resist the devil. Well, that don't seem to be too complicated. Submit to God, resist the devil. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. 1 Peter 5, 8, 9. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy prowls around like a lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. We're not alert. We're not going to be able to submit and resist because we're, we're clueless. He's chewing us up and we didn't even know he was there. Important part of, worship, of um, tools that we have are worship, praise, and thanksgiving. Those are important aspects of our warfare. How many scriptures can you think of in the Old Testament where they worshiped and God went out and did the battle? How many? All you got to do is worship. You'll take care of most of them. I mean, some, maybe not all of them, but some of them he will. If we're not worshiping. A lot of our battles would, would be already taken care of if we just get into worship and praise. Thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. You are the King of kings. You are the master. You reign. What were those songs we were singing? You reign. You reign. Open up before him. The kingdom's coming. Open up before him. The kingdom's coming. You reign. We worship you. He's got something to work on. He's got something to work through. We are his agents here on this earth. And if we will do those things, the scripture tells us in Psalms 22:3, yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. You know, in the uh, Old Testament, anytime it uses the word Israel because of we've been grafted in, we're Jacob, Jeshurun, a couple of, you can put your own name in there. It's really cool because they're personalized. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Cynthia. You are the praise of Terry. You are the praise of Dennis. You are the praise of Wally. You are, see? He, he, he is my praise. He, he's, he's the one who, who is in charge. He's the one who leads the way. And all I got to do is worship and draw near to him and listen to his voice and just do what he says because it's about him. It's not about me. All I have to do is enforce. I don't have to be the force. Enforce. He's the force. All I have to do is proclaim what he's wanting to do. Well, here's a fun one. Another weapon is what? Fasting. How many of you? Yay, let's go into that one. All right, we need to. You know, there's all kinds of fasting. I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but there's fasting of all foods. There's fasting of just partial foods. There's, you know, talking sweets or, you know, that kind of a thing. There's a, um, a separation from, which... Fasting is, it's a pulling away from those things. Stop feeding our flesh and feed our, and you think, how can that work? Try it and see. (laughs) It can work. You know, there are rules governing fasting as well. We don't do it with like, oh, I'm fasting. Did you know I was fasting? You know, we're supposed to do those in secret, you know? 
because we're not supposed to, you know, that he will reward the things that we do in secret. He'll reward us publicly. You know, that's interesting scripture. I never thought of that, but let's think about this for a second. I bet you that works both ways. All the evil that we do in secret gets rewarded in public as well. That's a scary thought. Maybe we should be using that scripture on some people that are doing some stuff in private that they shouldn't be, right? Not use that scripture, but you know what I mean. Reveal and bless them with that scripture. <laughs> Lord, that's really what I mean. Okay. We need to be steadfast. Our faith, our beliefs, and our mouth this is what I have written here. What I mean by that is, you know what? So much of the time... Our faith and our mouth don't match. Or actually, that's not really true. Our faith and our mouth do match. But what we pretend is we are all this great and faith and mighty women and men of God. But really what we're saying isn't really. Our mouth overruns our faith. I remember I've told you over and over again about the power of our words. If we are God's agents on earth, we speak into being his, we declare, you know, and creative and all the different things, the power that comes in our words and it comes with our words because we are made in his image. So if we are running off our faith by our mouth and our negativity, don't pretend that you're a great mighty woman and man of God and faith and power and holiness and great warrior. You know, that don't work. Praying that at church or in the gathering or whatever, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to train I'm going to change my analogy there. It's not the church. We're the church. But, you know, we just need to really watch what we're saying. Or we need to make sure that our mouth matches our faith or actually that we build up our mouth so our faith will grow. Battles are won in the realm of the spirit long before they're ever finalized in the natural. Talked about that a few minutes ago. You must allow God to settle it while you're on your knees before you can get the strength to stand before an enemy. Get it settled in the spirit realm. And then it'll follow through in the natural. Faith. Talked a little bit about that. Faith is the confidence and the obedience to the word of God with a total knowing that he has a purpose. Some believe faith is an adherence to a set of beliefs. What's your faith? Have you heard that before? Some believe that it's the ability to move God or manipulate him. I have great faith. God is so impressed by my faith. That because of my faith, he's going to heal this person. It's all about me. It's all about my faith. If they don't get healed, it's because I didn't have enough faith. No. No. Some believe faith is a blind leap into the dark. Well, I'm just going to hope it catches me. That's not what faith is either. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. Once again, my definition of faith is believing truth always in the face of adversity, living life according to the truth, not according to what we see. It's really easy to have faith when everything's wonderful. But a test of our faith is when life isn't going so great. Do you still believe it? Are you still living it? Are you still walking it out? Are you still willing your sword and saying, I don't care what this says. My Bible tells me the Lord has promised me. I'm going to be the head and not the tail. I'm going to, he's going to be with me when I come in and when I go out, when I lay down and when I sit up. That's what I believe. No matter what you're saying to me. Scripture tells me that God gives sleep to the righteous. I ain't sleeping now, so he must want me to pray. That's a really fast way to go to sleep. Start praying. <laughs> the enemy lets you go to sleep real fast. Another area we need to watch is our mouth and our tongue. The level of faith that we move in is evidenced in our talk. 
The word of God tells us that life and death is in the tongue. Be careful what you say and what is your confession. Sometimes, most of the time, and I might go as far as to, to say is that you get what you speak. You get what you speak. Is that going to change the way you've been talking? It should. It should. And I mean, unless you're way further along than this than I am, and that's okay. God bless you. I hope so. I'll get behind you and learn from you. Our mouth is a weapon. The devil wants your weapon. Do you understand that? He wants your weapon. You can speak things for him. I heard Bishop T.D. Jakes. How many love Bishop T.D. Jakes? He said, you know, Job's wife taught us some principles. Because she said, curse God and die. Well, what would happen if we worship God? We'll probably live. Right? Absolutely. We hope you've enjoyed this resource and that God has used it to bless you. For additional resources or to contact us, visit the D.L. Martin Ministries website at dlmm.org or you can call our ministry office at area code 850-455-5011. Thank you for letting D.L. Martin Ministries serve you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.